When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And this is the first episode of the new year, new season. We've been on a bit of a hiatus and a sabbatical. If you've been listening on the audio platforms, you I hope you've been getting a lot out of these shorter sort of blog post um, audios that we've been putting out. Um, there's a lot of work that went into that content. And so I was thrilled to get to bring it to you on the audio platform. So we didn't leave you totally without anything to listen to during our break. But I am back after my sabbatical, feeling rested and excited for everything that's happening in the new year. Of course, now it's January. This is January 7th, I believe, when this is um, coming out. And I am in full book promo mode. So I hope that, you know, you will give me grace as I annoy you to buy the new book over the course of the next three weeks. That's going to be the big push. The book comes out on January 30th, and it's called The Deconstruction of Christianity, what it is, how, uh, what it is, why it's destructive, and how to respond. Um, really, really excited to get this book into your hands. This book has been about two years in the making. I wrote it with Tim Barnett of Red Pen Logic. We're going to be doing some fun things. If you follow along on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, we're going to be doing some lives. We're going to be um, doing all sorts of fun stuff to help uh, promote the book. But ultimately, and I shared this in the podcast uh, as well, that this book is written not for the person who's in deconstruction, but it's written for their pastors and their friends and their loved ones and their spouses and their parents um, to help the body of Christ understand this phenomenon of faith deconstruction, what it is, um, getting to the nitty-gritty of what the true nature of it is and how we can respond, how we can navigate these relationships. And um, I just want to encourage you, you can go ahead and pre-order it now. There are pre-order bonuses that you can receive uh, where you can go to the deconstructionofchristianity.com, put in your receipt number, and you're going to get a free chapter right away and then 60 days of the audiobook for free. So really excited about it. Check it out. It's called The Deconstruction of Christianity, what it is, why it's how, why it's destructive, and how to respond. And also there's a study guide and a curriculum coming out very soon that is um, surrounding this content as well. So we've worked really hard on it, and we're glad to get it into your hands. Very excited to bring you this conversation that I had today with Rebecca Howe. Many of you longtime listeners will be familiar with her husband, Richard Howe, who's been on the podcast two or three times. It was with Richard that I recorded maybe one of my top five favorite episodes that I've ever recorded, and you can go back in the archives and find it. It was a live stream we did entitled, A Seminary Professor Answers Your Toughest Questions About God. And Richard was just so brilliant with all these questions that came in. There were skeptics who asked questions and Christians who asked very difficult theological questions, and he just handled them all so well. And to this day, it's one of my favorite episodes. But his secret weapon and is his wife, Rebecca, who is a friend of mine, longtime friend. She is a um, 
in in many ways a mentor to me. She prays for me and my family. She's very wise. She's very well-read, highly intelligent. And I just love talking with Rebecca. So the last time I was with her, I said, I would love to have you on the podcast to talk about your story. And because her story is a bit unique, she grew up in the jungles of Brazil as a missionary kid. She has a disability that leaves her walking with crutches all the time. And so we talked today about so many things. We talked a lot about prayer. I think prayer is something that a lot of Christians struggle with. Um, and, and she gave us some really practical tips. One of the highlights for me that stood out was when she talked about finding a dedicated time to pray every day, that you just block that time. Nothing interferes with it. You're not texting. You're not uh, scrolling. You are just dedicating that time to being with the Lord in prayer. We talked about how many books she reads. I'm going to save that so you can hear the number. Um, take a guess. She reads a lot of books. And you can take a guess um, at how many books that she reads. She gave her two favorite books of the year. I loved that. I thought that was a really uh, big highlight for me. And so um, really, we just talked about how to share your faith in any situation and what the relational dynamics are of that, because I think that's also another thing. Christians are intimidated. I think we're intimidated about prayer sometimes, intimidated about sharing our faith in all sorts of different scenarios. Uh, Rebecca spent a lot of time in the corporate world, and she shared stories about um, sharing her faith in that scenario. So this episode is jam-packed with wisdom, and it's really about those faith, those disciplines of prayer and, and sharing the gospel evangelizing in every situation with my friend Rebecca Howe. So without any further ado, here's Rebecca Howe. Well, Rebecca, this has been a long time coming. I'm so excited that you're finally on. Um, you know, you have been such a friend and you have invested so much prayer for my family. And I've just learned so much from you in my personal life. I, I really wanted to bring you on and share you with my audience because you have so much wisdom to share. And I'd love if you would just start with, you know, tell tell us about yourself, a little bit about your story, because you have some specific challenges in your life that you kind of have to deal with on a daily basis. But tell us a little bit about you, and then we'll we'll get into our topic for today. Okay. So I grew up as a missionary kid. I grew up in Brazil. And I had an amazing childhood in the jungles of Brazil and going up to the, the capital city. But from the time I was really young, all the way through my teenage years, I had some physical challenges and they eventuated in a lot of surgeries. And I was eventually diagnosed as having a fairly rare condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And it's led to many, many dozens of surgeries over the years. All Mine are all orthopedic. And they eventuated uh, just under a decade ago in ending my career in the corporate world, which mm. I loved and was, was doing really well. But I had a catastrophic spinal injury about eight or nine years ago. And my doctor just sat down and looked at me and said, Rebecca, you, your days of being in the corporate world are over. Your body has said, we're done. Um, so uh, Richard and I had to, you know, work through those challenges. And there were some really humorous stories to go along with that. Um, though, you know us and we tend to find humor in everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, which, which I actually think is one of the keys to, to just getting through life is we have to find humor in situations. And so my world changed significantly. And it, it took a little bit to readjust, you know, one's going full throttle with a career. And then all of a sudden it's like, I, I am not allowed to work anymore in, in my field. And so 
at that point, God had been, of course, he had been faithful through, through everything. He always is, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, but I'd always been able to continue working. I'd have surgery, go back to work, have surgery, go back to work. And, but this time I couldn't. And in looking back, we were talking recently, Richard and I were about how, isn't it amazing? God uses, God uses everything and can use everything. But that episode of eight or nine years ago, it allowed me freedom to devote more time to focusing on God. And not that I had neglected him before. Um, I'm very fortunate in that raised in a Christian home, my relationship with Christ started when I was four and I never had a backsliding or anything like that, but this was a new opportunity and I was able to take the the time that I would normally spend commuting or working and I had to refocus what I was going to do. Hmm. And I started really praying for people, started praying for my family praying for friends. And gradually that circle of people that were in the prayer, in my prayer life, really expanded. And so I was able, thanks to this, what the world might see as a catastrophic event, really start spending that time praying for people. And then over the ensuing years, I have learned so much and and the people I pray for, it, 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 the circle's gotten bigger, uh, but the people I pray for daily uh, I try and keep that a very a discreet group. Now it's 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 a large number, but I'm not just arbitrary, and I think that's mm-hmm. something we have to be careful about. I'm not just arbitrary. I can tell someone I'll pray for them, and I will. Mm-hmm. But if I add someone to my daily prayer list, that's a commitment that I'm making to them before God that I'm going to be lifting you up every day in prayer for whatever's going on, and so that has allowed me. Uh, just a huge, a huge opportunity. And when people invite me into their lives, allow me to pray for them and they're transparent, it's, it, it's really humbling. Mm. And so that's how I got to be where I am today. Yeah. 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 And I'd love to ask you more about prayer because I think this is something yeah. that a lot of Christians struggle with prayer. I, I will be honest and say it's something I struggle with because I grew up, um, you know, we've done podcasts about the sort of de- declaration kind of prayer that we find in the New Apostolic Reformation. And um, I didn't grow up in the New Apostolic Reformation, but I think there was a lot of influence that I see now that I didn't see back then. And so I really did kind of have this view of prayer. I think I shared this with Holly and Doug when they were on the podcast before that I, I sort of had to relearn how to pray because it's never like this thought emerged in my mind that I thought, oh, my prayers have creative power to make something manifest in reality. I never thought mm-hmm. of it that way, but I it was kind of like those bossing God around kind of prayers and like, you know, declaring things. And my, you know, my heart, I really think my heart was mostly good. It's just all I knew. It's it's kind of the only way I knew really how to pray. And so I've had to realign that to scripture and really look at the way Jesus taught us to pray. And I always go back to that. And I've said this on the podcast before. I always go back to when Jesus literally says, pray like this. And then he goes into the Lord's prayer that we all memorize. Um, 
it, it's such a beautiful pattern of thankfulness and repentance and confession and asking the Lord to deliver us from evil and um, worship and praise and, and sort of this pattern that, that I try to model my prayers after now. But I'd love to ask you what your prayers look like. Like how many, how much time do you spend in prayer every day? And I'm not asking you this for a brag, but honestly, I think it's, it's inspiring to know that you can sort of expand your prayer life. And I've um, really over this past year really tried to do that, where I actually have been starting to write things down, people I pray for every day. It's a small number because I don't want to overcommit and, you know, just die out or something like burnout. Um, but but what does that look like for you? Is it something you do in the morning? How, how much time do you spend doing that every day? Is it broken up throughout the day? Help us when we, you know, everybody listening who wants to know how to pray better. <laughs> All right, we're taking a quick break so I can tell you about our first sponsor, which is Carly Jean Los Angeles. I love Carly Jean. It's a Los Angeles-based clothing company. It's a small company. It's run by Carly Jean Brannon, who's a mom of four. What I love about Carly Jean is that Carly Jean is unabashedly pro-life. She's a Christian. She loves the Lord, and she makes really cute clothes. This t-shirt I'm wearing today is from her one of her recent lines. I love that they're always releasing new um new lines. There's always special promos you can take advantage of. If you go to carlyjeanlosangeles.com, you can use my code, which is just my name, Alisa, to get 20% off your first order. Again, go to carlyjeanlosangeles.com. Use my code, Alisa, for 20% off your first order. So I've done different things over the years, and I've I've finally settled on something that really works for me in my life where it is right now. But over the years, I've, I've had a notebook where I would write down, okay, Monday I'm praying for these people, and Tuesday I'm praying for these people. That for me got overwhelming. Like you said, I, I felt mm. like, okay, this is overwhelming. I can't keep this up. I'm not, I'm praying, but I, I don't really know what's going on in these people's lives. What I, and I am a, the, type A personality. I like everything to be regimented and disciplined. And that's something that when all of a sudden being thrown out of the corporate world, I'm like, okay, I have to set up some sort of discipline. So that's why mm. I do what I do. Uh, I, every morning when I wake up, I had to find a dedicated time that nothing interferes with this time. Nothing takes precedence over it. And so from the time I get up in the morning, I start going through my, my, my prayer list and, and I, I want to circle back to the prayer list, but I start going through my prayer list and then all the way through, I'm an early bird. My day starts really early and I swim every morning. So from the time I get up until the time I arrive at the swimming pool, that is, that is, that's prayer time. Great, that's not yeah. texting time. That's not there nothing interrupts that from the time I get going and I've had to that might sound harsh but I had to do that so that it's like I've made a commitment to pray to these for these people and so I that's what I do that is that time is is blocked nothing mm. nothing interferes with that now when I I wanted to circle back to the list I I pray for my family first. There's nothing in scripture that says pray for your family first, mm. but I go through and I pray for everyone in the family by name. Now, do I know everything that's going on in everyone's life? No, I don't. But as I'm praying for 
you know, my siblings, nieces, nephews, I, I do pray for them by name and I don't always know everything that's going on, but I pray for them. And then I think of it as like circles in a pond. I start with my family. I expand to close friends that, that we consider family. And then the, the ripples just go out from there, uh, praying for people at ch church, praying for, for other friends. And not too long ago in the past year, I thought, you know, I should probably write down everything I'm praying for and everyone I'm praying for. Because if I ever had a, a, a brain injury or something like that, I said, I don't mm. think I could reconstruct this, this tree that I have in my head of how I go through each branch and pray for everybody. So I actually did that. It was kind of interesting, mm. but that's, that's what I do. Now that's just the start. That's how I started. And just getting into a habit and making it a habit, it's a discipline of going through every day and praying for those people. That doesn't mean that's the only time I'm praying. It's not. Uh, but I go through and pray for those people. That's good. Then fast forward a couple years and people know I'm praying for them. But I think, like you were saying, we grew up in the church and we hear these things of, oh, I'll pray for you. And we, we've all heard, I'll pray for you. Mm -hmm. And we've all said it, I'll pray for you. And it might be, okay, Lord, bless them, whatever, or be with them as they're going through surgery or whatever. And it's out of sight, out of mind. And I started thinking, that's not, that's not really what prayer is, is it? Because prayer should be a communication, an open communication between us and, and our Savior who gave everything for us. And so it needs to be more of a communication. It's a vertical communication and we're allowing other people in when we pray for them. And so this, now this gets into what you were saying, these declarative prayers, because we've mm -hmm. all heard them. And especially with my physical condition, uh, for the listeners who don't know, I walk with crutches, so I can't hide. It's it's not like I have a disability that no one can see. I walk with, now they're really fun crutches because I have them in nine colors, but I do, <laughs> um, hey, a girl's got accessories. Very stylish, right? yes. <laughs> so it's really obvious when I'm walking around that there's something wrong. And even, I mean, I have people come up to me even as recently as two months ago and they're like, oh, you poor thing, what happened? I'm like, oh, no, no, this is just, this is me. I have this condition. The crutches allow me to walk. And they're like, stop right there. And then this woman put her hand out and put her hand on my shoulder and said, you know, Lord, I'm declaring right now that wow. Rebecca is going to be healed. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't the situation where I could say, yeah, sweetie, it doesn't really work like that. Yeah, yeah. And what made it worse is we were in the locker room at the pool and this was a total stranger who came up to me. Yeah. Um, but there is this misconception and I really appreciate Doug and Holly's work on defining these declarative prayers. I wasn't, I love the way they call them declarative prayers because once I read that in their work, I was like, oh, that is what all these people are doing. And over the years, have I possibly been guilty of that? Maybe early on. Mm -hmm. But to go back to what you were saying about the Lord's Prayer, which is our model, thy will be done. Yeah. And and I think we skip over that, don't we? Because yeah. thy will be done. That needs to be our heart attitude of what does God want, not what does Rebecca want. And yeah. recently, 
at church, someone, we were in a Sunday school type setting and someone looked at me and said, well, Rebecca, isn't it God's will that you be healed? And the pastor said, you know, run with this. And I just said, and the pastor actually asked me, he goes, Rebecca, do you still pray that you're going to be healed? Mm. And I looked at him and I said, no, I don't pray anymore that I'll be healed. And some of the people in the room, they were, they were in shock and you could Mm -hmm. tell it. And I said, God has gifted me. He's gifted every single one of us. He's gifted me with this visible disability that has opened so many doors for me Mm. to share the gospel, to be a light, to maybe I'm not giving someone the Romans road or laying out the plan of salvation, but I can be salt and light in their life because of the way God made me. And so early on, did people pray that this would go away? Absolutely. But no, I consider it a gift now. And so I think that it goes back to thy will be done. And that's hard. Thy will be done isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it's physically painful. Sometimes it's emotionally and mentally painful. But I think we have to keep our perspective uh, in in line. We're yeah. we're this this time on earth is just a blip, and it might feel really fun and it might feel really awful, but it's just a blip. And as long as we keep our focus on eternity, uh, then I think Thy will be done becomes a little bit easier. Yeah. But sometimes that means we can't have a, while we have a long-term and eternal perspective, that means sometimes we just have to focus literally on, can I take one more step? Not, Mm -hmm. can I get through the next hour? But literally, can I just take one more step right now? And then one more. And I, I think when we slow down, have an eternal focus, it makes it a little easier. And with that in mind, I think it also is easier to pray that way. And yeah. it's like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared. We have a responsibility to be prepared. We need to be in the word. We need to be reading the word. We need to be talking to God. But that also makes it easier to say, okay, thy will be done. Here's what I think should happen. And I'm praying that way, mm-hmm. but thy will be done. Yeah. That's and so good. some people don't want to hear that. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Rebecca Howe. I want to tell you about our next sponsor for today, which is Seven Weeks Coffee. I absolutely love this company, Seven Weeks Coffee. Did you know that at seven weeks uh, at seven weeks old, a baby in the womb is, has a detectable heartbeat, and it's about the size of a coffee bean. And this is sort of the inspiration behind Seven Weeks Coffee, is that it's a pro-life Christian coffee company. And it's not just got great ethics and values. I really love the coffee. It checks every box that I'm looking for with coffee, which is that it's mold-free, it's uh, pesticide-free, shade-grown, It's uh, better than fair trade. It's direct trade. So everything about it is just wonderful. It's a great thing to get for somebody as a gift. If for the coffee lover, friends in your life, you can go to sevenweekscoffee.com and use my code ALISA for a discount. Absolutely love it. You can join the Heartbeat Club, which is a subscription service. I'm a member of the Heartbeat Club. I get my coffee every month um, automatically. I absolutely love it. Again, that's sevenweekscoffee.com. Use my code ALISA for a discount. 
No, it's true. I have a very wise friend who has thought about suffering where she says that God will give everybody a custom-crafted crucible. And she she says it's in three areas. It'll either be, or maybe, you know, some combination of all three, but it'll be financial, it'll be physical, or it'll be relational. And there hmm. will be this um, challenge in your life that will cause you to have to lean on him. You know, recently, well, I guess just at the end of the last season of the podcast, I had Johnny Erickson Tata on. And she was talking about, I didn't know this about her. I knew that obviously she's been in a wheelchair as a quadriplegic, you know, since she was, I think, 15 or 17. And I knew that about her, but I didn't know that she lives with chronic pain. And that was actually the hardest thing for her to talk about was the the physical pain that she's in um, all the time. And, uh, but yet in that interview, I'm looking at a woman that has something I don't have. And I can recognize that and acknowledge that she has mm-hmm. something deep inside of her that I don't have because I've never had to dig that deep. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of um, a, a prayer I'm afraid to pray is like, Lord, whatever it takes, you know, I'm not sure I'm ready to pray that prayer. Um, but I've asked the Lord to help me get to the point where I could pray that prayer, that whatever it takes, I have friends who um, are walking through cancer and they have something I don't have because they're having to dig deeper into the Lord in a way that I don't necessarily have to right now. And I, and I do want to say for people listening who, you know, what we're talking about with thy will be done and... Um, Please don't misunderstand us as saying that God can't or won't or doesn't heal people. He certainly right. does. But sometimes it's it's the greater gift for his will to be, no, you have to like live with this and live in this for a while. And um, sometimes that healing isn't complete until we are face to face with him, um, you know, on the other side. Uh, but I think that is a hard thing with the influence of the prosperity gospel that I think is just really infected the church, especially over the past maybe 50 years or so, as there's been some really bad theology come in where um, people are are really rejecting this potential gift that God's giving them to be able to lean more into him and dig deeper. And, you know, you're not going to get your needs met from Netflix. You're, you're going to have to get into prayer and get into the Lord um, and his word. Uh, I, I want to ask you about you know, you, you, we've talked about your, your prayer that you do, kind of these spiritual disciplines, but you read a lot. And this is shocking. Everybody prepare <laughs> yourselves because, Rebecca, how many books do you read every year? Well, I finished um, 2022, I did 600 books. 21, I did 560. And I finished New Year's Eve this year at five, I don't know, maybe 580. How? Or something for do you do? Do you do audiobooks or is this all physical reading? The ninety nine plus percent is physical reading. Um, I do I I do my reading primarily on a an electronic an ebook because mm-hmm. I can't hold heavy books. My hands are so reconstructed. Um, but but yes, and I don't skim. I am a fast reader, and I like all sorts of genres. That's usually the next question. So, you know, everything from military to historical fiction, some science fiction, Westerns. I read, I read a lot of things. Yeah. So what was your favorite book, favorite book of last year? um, I loved reading, I'll give you a fiction and a nonfiction. Okay. Um, Fiction was the book of lost names. It's a world war II book. And I, I spend a lot of time reading about women in World War II, so I really love that. 
um, nonfiction. It's actually a forthcoming book, um, Walking in Unity, Krista yes. uh, Bontrager and Monique Dusan. That book, I, I just cannot recommend that book enough. I couldn't put it down. And yeah, it's same. dealing with race. So I, I've already, I've been telling people as I've been speaking, you've got to get this book. And so I, I'm sorry, it's the end of this year is coming out, but that book was just amazing. Did you know uh, that I wrote the forward for that book? No. Did you know I wrote, yeah, I wrote the forward for that book. I loved it so much. And we're going to just give a little plug here for anybody listening. There's been a little bit of um, delay on the book because the publisher that it was being published by was uh, was going to be sold. Anyway, they acquired the book back. This is Monique Dusan and uh, Krista Bontrager over at Center for Biblical Unity. It's the book they've written together. And it is going to be coming out um, later. So it is coming, though. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure what they've announced or what they haven't, so I won't give any details. But everybody be looking for that book because it is um, the book on the topic of race that you're going to want to get. It is. It's amazing. And one of the things I love so much about it is taking everything back to scripture. What does the scripture say? And it's hard to find that these days, isn't it? Everything is what feels good. What do we think looks good? Uh, But this is what does what does the Bible say? And and I love that. And I would be remiss. Um. I also read your book and Tim's and Tim's book on on deconstruction, oh, yeah. and I think everyone in the church needs to read that book. It's interesting because, and I I had an advanced copy which was amazing, and I was reading it and I'm just sharing information, talking about it. I was doing a talk on deconstruction, and someone in my life who they said I had never heard that word deconstruction used with Christianity. Mm. Until I was at choir practice and that we were singing a song and the song, whatever the title of the song was in, in small print underneath it, it said written for a deconstructing friend. Mm -hmm. And because we had had these discussions about deconstruction in our family, this family member said, when the choir director said, I have no idea what this means, but let's go ahead and sing this song. This person was able to raise her hand and say, I know what this means. Let me tell you what this means. Um, So I think it's something, again, to everyone needs to get this book so that they're aware of it. Uh, People who think that they are not encountering it, it doesn't touch their lives. um, It touches your life. Yeah. It, it, It touches your child's life, your grandchild's life, your whatever. It's touching your life and you need to know that. Yeah. So sorry. Well, and that's, off track. that's okay. But you know, it's actually, it's, it's a good time to talk about that anyway. I didn't ask, by the way, I didn't ask Rebecca to, <laughs> to plug the book, <laughs> but um, it is coming out very soon. It's coming out on the 30th of January and you can pre-order now. So if you go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold and you pre-order it, go to Christian book, pre-order the book. Then you can go to the deconstruction of Christianity.com and put in your order number. And immediately you'll get an email with uh, a free chapter. And that's our advice chapter, which I think is probably the most important chapter in the book. And then you'll also get 60 days of free access to the audiobook. So um, take advantage of that. And uh, the book's coming out on the 30th. And, and actually, you've really nailed the audience there, Rebecca, because we didn't write it for people who are deconstructing. We wrote it for their pastors and their parents and their spouses mm-hmm. and their friends and their children mm-hmm. and the the people who love them, because that's the number one question I get when I'm out 
speaking is, you know, what do I do? I have this sibling or this, um, my spouse, or I've had many adult parents or, you know, old elderly parents of adult children who have deconstructed and they're just wanting advice on how to navigate that. So that's really who we wrote the book for. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up because I might've forgotten to talk about it. I'm supposed to be talking about it all month and I, I always forget. So, um, and to, and to just assuage anyone who thinks, oh, deconstruction sounds like a highfalutin word or something like that. This book was written as Dr. Geister would say, cookies on the bottom shelf for Mm -hmm. everyone to be able to read and grasp. And you guys did a wonderful job of putting these concepts at a lay level where people can interact with them. And I love the action, the the action chapter is is amazing. And the questions you you have in there for people to think about. Yeah, people need to get this book. Well, thanks, Rebecca. I appreciate that. I want to get into kind of one of your passion topics, which Mm -hmm. is always being ready to share your faith in any situation. That's really what we're titling this podcast today, because that's kind of your your passion. You give talks on this, and you've lived this. So um, mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit, because I think that can be really intimidating. Um, I know for me, like, I'm just, I, I don't know, this is like the new year. I'm I'm just being vulnerable here. But I have unsaved people in my life that I, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I think. Maybe I am. I don't know. I need to ask the Lord to diagnose my heart. But I just don't know how to bring it up in situations, right. you know, where you're, maybe you're at a picnic and you're like, how do you be like, have you found the Lord's favorite <laughs> Jesus Christ? Like, how do you, how do you open up the topic? How do you share that? And then there's even hostile situations where people n- might know who you are and what you believe and they are assuming things about you. Talk mm-hmm. about that topic of how to share your faith in any situation you're in. All right, we're pressing the pause button to tell you about our final sponsor of the day, and that is Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is an at-home meat delivery service. It comes packaged to you on dry ice, frozen, ready to be put in the freezer. I absolutely love Good Ranchers. I love that it's a Christian company. I love the ethical approach to all of their practices, and I love the product. If you love chicken, they have better than organic chicken. It comes triple trimmed, individually sealed in uh, little individual packages that are so easy to pull out of the freezer and thaw out and cook for dinner. As I've told you on this podcast before, I hate thinking about what I'm going to make for dinner. Good Ranchers makes it so easy. You just pull some meat out of the freezer, and you can just do something really simple. Uh, You can also use it for your more complicated recipes. I just love that we always have it on hand in the freezer ready to go. Grass-fed beef, American uh, raised and harvested, wonderful wild-caught seafood, better than organic chicken. The pork is amazing. This is heritage breed pork, highest quality you can get. So go to GoodRanchers.com, select a box, give it a try. Use my code ALISA for a discount. Again, that's GoodRanchers.com. Use my code ALISA for a discount. Well, I think you hit on a key word there, vulnerable, because one of the things that I've seen through the years is when we're vulnerable, then people are more willing to open their hearts and their lives up to us. And that is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, I think, I don't know, growing up in the church the way I did, you know, you're supposed to always be prepared One, you know, we're ambassadors for Christ you know, we, we learn that and we're supposed to be out there on the front line. And I think somehow, at least in my mind, I had this, okay, I need to have my Bible right in front of me and I need to be, you know, preaching to everybody, telling them all to, um, using that metaphorically, of course, 
yeah. as a complementarian, but telling right. everyone to, um, you know, you're either going to heaven or hell and preaching fire and brimstone. And, and I've come to, th that's not how I do it anymore. I, I think, and, and you touched on this in, in your books, we have to have relationships with people. We have to earn the right to, to talk about what's in someone's life. If a total stranger were to come up to me on the street and say, this is what you need to do with the rest of your life. I'm mm. like, I know you and go away. And I, the creep factor would be going on. Yeah. Yeah. But if someone who's really close in my inner circle says, Hey, Rebecca, this is, I've been burdened about X, Y, or Z. And can we talk? I'm, like, I'm going to listen with patience to them and we, we can have a conversation. So I really think relational, having the relational aspect is, is critical to, to getting into anyone's heart. And I'll give you an example. When, when I was in the corporate world, uh, my field was big data in IT. So there, there aren't a lot of females in that field. Mm -hmm. And there certainly weren't 10 years ago. So I'm kind of an anomaly. But there was someone I worked with who was also a female working in the data field. And so you just it just happens. You just kind of create a, a friendship because you're, you're floating alone. And um, so we, we got to be friends. This person was from a, a communist country, had come to come to the United States to get away from communism and have opportunities here. And we were going through something really hard at work where I was being treated very, it was ugly. It, mm. There's just, it was ugly. And I was at home one day and this friend called me and I, I answered the phone and she said, Rebecca, this is your communist atheist friend calling to tell you God is kicking your butt. And, <laughs> and I kind of, it, it, it threw me back because it was the first time she actually said, you know, God is kicking your butt. And she was, she was serious. She said, you can't see what's going on. You wouldn't listen to other people telling you this was going to get ugly for you. God's kicking your butt now. And I needed to buy a few seconds because I was going, okay, wow, this is so much information in just a few sentences. And I said, okay, you and I both know that you're not a communist anymore because you're appreciating the capitalistic lifestyle that we live. And she said, you're right. And I have to tell you, I'm not an atheist anymore. Wow. And, and that hit me. I, she's not a Christian yet, um, but I'm praying for her. But yeah. I, and that may not sound like a big deal, but that was a big deal because it was only through a relationship and walking through something really hard in corporate America, which everyone who's in corporate America has done. But by walking through it and her watching me, her watching of me is what allowed her to be vulnerable and say, I'm not an atheist anymore. Wow. You know, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not an atheist. And so a lot of times, and I think all of us have experienced this in, in church, when someone will stand up and say, oh, we just love everyone who's in. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you to the nursery workers and the Sunday school teachers and the pastors and the missionaries. And then they stop. And for years, Richard and I have looked at each other and gone, well, every single one of us is, is in ministry. It's just our mission fields look different. Mine for the longest time was the corporate space. And I think that's a misconception that the church has is guilty of uh, promoting 
that one has to be in full-time Christian ministry in mm. order to be in ministry. And I have, my ministry right now is in the medical field and in the operating rooms. I'm in there so frequently that people will come over when I'm being wheeled into the OR. I'll have nurses come over and say, oh, Rebecca, I saw you on the schedule. I have to give you an update. Last time you were in here, you were praying for X, Y, and Z for me. And let me give you an update. And now here's what you can be praying for. Wow. Now, I guarantee you, I'm being rolled into the OR just like every other person is. That means I'm not dressed up in my Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. I'm not carrying <laughs> Um, the only thing I'm carrying with me is, is my smile and what's inside me. And I think by being kind to people and just being unafraid of using Christian words. And I discovered that I had as a defense mechanism, possibly stopped using certain Christian words, certainly in the corporate world and other places. And it becomes hard to say, you know what, that's really interesting. I'm going to pray about that. Let me pray for you about that. Or, wow, I wonder what God's trying to teach us through this. Those things that are so seemingly innocent can get us in trouble in the world we live in now. But I think those are the inroads that we're yeah. having to go through in order to talk to people. Um, and I've had, even with some of my doctors are Christians, some of my doctors are not Christian. Um, but I had some a few years back, they found, they found, um, bone cancer and it was a surprise. No one was expecting it. It has nothing to do with my condition. And I'll never forget the doctor who discovered it. He was not a Christian, but his wife was. And he said, Rebecca, I was shocked when I got the call that everything came back and it was cancer. And he said, don't worry, I didn't violate HIPAA. But my wife could tell something was wrong. He goes, we were at dinner when I got the call and she immediately said, I'm going to pray for your patient. Wow. And that only came because over the years of building a relationship with this surgeon, he knew that Richard and I were Christians and that we prayed, not because we preach when we're in there, but the way we would react to certain situations. So I think it's not an amazing, overwhelming, oh, lightning is going to strike and everyone's going to get saved. We have to have relationships and we have to be unashamed of using the little things. Wow. Okay. God really kicked my butt in that situation mm -hmm. and being able to say, you know what? You're right. God is kicking my butt. I should have listened to X or Y or, okay, we're going to deal with this the way we deal with it. Um, so I think it's the relationship. That was a lot of talking to say it is relational, but it's also not being afraid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the same with saying to someone, I'm going to pray for you. That means not being afraid to follow up and say, hey, I was praying about X. How did it turn out? And yeah. we have to be prepared when they That's say, good. you know what, it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And we're making a commitment to say, okay, Lord, how can I help this person? Either counsel them through or just hold their hand through. And sometimes it's saying, you know what? I don't know what to say. That was really bad news. May I hug you? Or I'm just, I love you. I don't yeah. know what to say. Yeah. So. I, that relational aspect is so important. I was having lunch with a friend maybe several months ago, and it was this really busy cafe and all these tables are kind of crammed together really close. And this man stands up in the middle of the lunch rush and just starts announcing that he's a Christian 
and that he would like to pray over everyone's food. Well, I, I was, you know, the the <laughs> friend that I was having lunch with, she, you know, she's kind of like smiling, like, okay, that's nice, but it's kind of yeah. like this. Is it nice? Like, I don't know this person. So we have to stop our conversation. And this guy just kind of takes over for a few minutes. And we talked about it after. And she's like, how did you feel about that? And I said, I didn't like that at all. I thought it was completely rude. It was basically like him electing himself chaplain of our lunch <laughs> you know, situation and holding everybody hostage until he's finished. And I'm just thinking, you know, if I wasn't a Christian, I would be like, I, I don't want whatever that person has. Like that that causes somebody to be rude and intrusive. And, um, and, and, and like I think as a Christian, what if a Muslim had done that or what if a Buddhist did that and just made me stop and listen to them when I'm trying to have lunch with my friend? And so, yeah, I think that that relational aspect is is very important. I do want to ask you when it comes to prayer, and I'm going to keep swinging back to prayer, theologically— how how would how do you work out, you know, I mean, we don't have to get too deep into predestination versus free will, but you know, ultimately I think the question people want to know is will God do something he wouldn't have done because you prayed? Mm-hmm. I mean So um I'm thinking how to I, I think the answer is who getting into theology now and with, with, uh, yeah, my background, you're, you know, where I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I think our prayer, we have, we have examples in scripture, but okay. First of all, open theism is, is wrong and I'm not an open right. theist. So I don't but think tell, anything. Tell, them, is, tell people uh, what open theism is though, for anybody who's unfamiliar with that. So open theism is a really bad theological concept that's out there promoted by Gregory Boyd and some others where God doesn't know the future. There's certain, it's um, erode, it's erosion of the classical attributes of God and God's foreknowledge and his omniscience um, are some of those that are being tacked in, in open theism. So as someone who fights against that, I, nothing's going to happen that God does not know. Right. Um, so whether I pray or not, for, for something is that's an act of obedience on my part, uh, that it grows my relationship with God that, you know, we, we see, we see in the Bible, even, you know, when Jonah goes to Nineveh and he, he preaches, he delivers the message and then he gets bent out of shape, seriously bent out of shape when Nineveh repents, you know, mm -hmm. it was a temporary repentance. It didn't last forever, but he got bent out of shape. So he delivered the message and then his attitude obviously was wrong. He really didn't want them to repent, but he, he was obedient um, to the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. Right. And so I think in prayer, we need to be obedient in that we are told to pray and we're, we can pray for something specifically. Paul even talks about, you know, three times I've prayed that this thorn in the flesh would go away. And I take great comfort in that. Paul prayed three times. It didn't say he's praying every single day. You know, Lord, why hasn't this thorn in the flesh gone away? Why hasn't the thorn in the flesh gone away? He's like, I prayed. And God's will was that it, that it didn't go away. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned Johnny. I'm thrilled I had the opportunity to meet her uh, some time ago. And she lives in so much pain 
But her ministry, she wouldn't have the ministry had she not had that catastrophic accident um, as a teenager. And she sings a song and um, it makes me tear up. Um, I heard it years ago. I don't know who wrote it, but it's, uh, she says, you know, when she gets to heaven, you know, he'll ask me to dance and that endless romance will be worth all the tears I have cried. And I think of that often because here's someone who's, you know, I may get frustrated because I can't put my shoes on. She can't get dressed. You know, she can't scratch an itch. Mm -hmm. And, and I think we just have to keep it in perspective. When we get to heaven, everything we've gone through, what the world would consider a hellacious life that Johnny has lived, what the world would see is that we're going to see that as how blessed she was to be that spokesperson for God and how, but she's honoring him by being faithful and obedient. And, and that's how I see prayer is too. It's, it's on me, not on what God knows. Do I think if I don't pray, if I forgot to pray for someone's surgery, it's not going to go well. No, because God's got it. God has already, he's from the beginning of the time. He's, he's, he knows what's going to happen. Whether or not I pray for it is building my relationship with Christ. So uh, does that mean I think prayer doesn't change things? No, I do think prayer changes things, but not without God's knowledge. He knew in advance what was going to happen. Yeah, that's good. I was just recently um, in Wheaton right before my sabbatical, and it was just a really sweet situation. It was a group of ladies that brought me in. They, they raised the funds, they brought me in, and they are prayer, what you would call prayer warriors. These ladies were praying around the clock. And I could just, I, okay, I don't want to get all relativistic on it, but I could feel their prayers. I could feel, um, you know, not everything went perfectly, but there was just this peace. There was this, um, I felt very free in my mind. Things would come to my mind that I had learned that I didn't mm-hmm. feel any fogginess. I, I felt very clear. I was able to communicate better than I think I normally did. Um, and I really do think it was a direct result of of their prayers. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's not like something's going to, you know, catastrophic is going to happen if we don't pray. Like, we are not that powerful. <laughs> but right. I think God has invited us into this prayer relationship where we can actually see the fruit of our prayers, especially, I mean, well, and only when we're praying according to his will, which we get, mm-hmm. of course, from his word. And I could just, I, I'm telling you, it was just, it was different being there with these people praying for me constantly. And they were, like you said, very specific, asking me, you know, how are you sleeping? How's this going? How's that going? And um, and they would just pray so specifically directly for me. Mm-hmm. And the Lord brought me into situations that should have felt more hostile than they felt. And it was, yeah, it was just really cool to to see that happen. Um, I wonder too, like how much, you know, back to the sharing your faith in any situation, how much does personality play a role into it? Because, you know, as I analyze my own timidity with people in my actual life, what I do, and this isn't, I'm, this isn't me letting myself off the hook. It's just me analyzing like why certain things might be the way they are. Because I'm so introverted, I am. I can say anything from a, a platform in front of a hundred thousand people, and it doesn't intimidate me one bit. But you put me in front of one single person, and I get tongue-tied, and I, you know, I don't know how to how to navigate the conversation to bring things up. Um, mm-hmm. how, how much do you think that plays a role in? And again, not 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 as an excuse, but as an as a tool to say, look. I know this about myself. This is what I need to work on in 
this situation. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny. And we've talked about this before. I too, am an introvert and yeah, give me a platform and I'm fine. But I, I think I've just learned, and this is rec- in recent years, and I, I don't have all the answers. I'm, I'm not pretending to have all the answers. But what has really worked for me is I've had to learn to humble myself in front of my closest friends because I realized, and, and it was thanks to a friend in my, in my close circle who said to me several years ago, chiding me, she was really frustrated. She said, Rebecca, you're always calling or texting to ask how we're doing. You're letting us share our stories but you never, you're never opening up. I'm like, yeah, no, I tell you when I have surgery. She goes, no, 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 no. She goes, everybody knows when you have surgery, but you're not opening up. And, and I'm very appreciative of, of her for saying that because it made me really stop and think. I thought, you know, I am, I'm asking all these other people. I mean, there aren't hundreds, but I'm asking, especially the small inner circle to be vulnerable, you know, and they're sharing relational difficulties of family difficulties, they're, they're, they're being transparent and vulnerable and humble. And somehow I had it, I was acting as if I had it in my mind that, okay, let me pray for this. Let me pray for this. And I, and I wasn't returning that favor. And so that's been hard, but I've had to learn to do it. And I thought, you know what, this is, this is like a God prompting. It's, it's, he used my friend to say, Rebecca, you're not, you're not practicing what you preach. Because at the end of the day, I'm no more important than anybody else. And so uh, a couple years ago, I had a surgery and there were some complications. They were avoidable complications. And after the surgery, uh, for the first time ever, I was, I was really angry with the doctor. Mm. And I thought, you know what, I've got to be vulnerable at this point because I was seriously angry with, with the doctor. And so I texted this, this small group. And I said, guys, I need you to pray. I need you to pray for me right now because I'm so angry. I can barely function. And I knew intellectually that that anger would only interfere with my relationship with Christ. And it was only directed at the doctor at the situation. But I said, I need you to pray for me. And I need you to pray for the doctor because right now I can't pray for the doctor. I mean, anything I'd pray for the doctor wouldn't have been a good thing. (laughs) Um, just to be honest. And, and it was amazing by opening up and saying, and then these are close friends saying, look, I am so ticked off right now. And then over the ensuing days and weeks, they're like, okay, how's the anger? How's the, how's your attitude? And having to be, because I opened myself up, I had to be honest with them. That was really eye opening to me so that I'm a, I'm a wee bit better now being able to say, you know what? this is really tough for me. I'm, I'm struggling with X, but I've learned this transparency back and forth. And then that's always easy in our close circle. But I was recently at an event with someone that I wasn't sure was saved. It's someone in, in the extended family that been praying for, for years and had an opportunity to be face to face with. And I thought, you know what? The only way she's going to open up is if I open up, but we don't have that super close relationship. You know, this is a distant family person. And I just thought, you know what, Lord, I need to be transparent and talk about something that's going on in my world. And, and I did, and it was hard Mm -hmm. because it's like, it's not something I wanted people to know about, but it's like, Hey, this is a crisis that we're dealing with. And 
I just feel like I needed to tell you because you can understand you've been there. And that opened a lot of doors, but it, it's not easy. It's not easy. And I think sometimes just being transparent helps, but I also think we have to be careful with whom we're transparent. Don't we? I mean, we can't, when one of the talks I do, I talk about, uh, women, especially this, this part is, is really for women is we need to develop our elephants and what does that mean? Yes. Well, yeah, that's, I've heard you talk about this, finding your elephants, finding your elephants. So in the wild, the female elephants, they, they hang out together and they, they form a circle around the weakest, the weakest female elephant at any point in time. And this is, it's a very, very fluid thing. The, the female may have given birth. She may be sick. She may be, she may be just, you know, undernourished. She might just be tired, but whichever elephant is the weakest at the moment is just surrounded by these other elephants. And it's interesting because when I heard someone say this to me the first time, I thought, okay, that sounds really cool. And that'd be a great illustration for, for something. So I went and I actually found a researcher who had researched this, who was a, a scientist. I was like, okay, good. This actually does happen in the wild. Uh, not just one of these, you know, that right. makes a great story illustration. Thanks. Yeah. It's not right. true. The preacher stories. So, yeah. Yes. Preacher stories. So I always encourage women, we need to find our elephants now. And I think it, it needs to be a small number of elephants, but these are the women with whom we can be totally transparent. The ones that like in my case, I could reach out for, and I could say, I'm angry mm-hmm. and I need you to pray for me because I'm angry in a way that's disrupting my, you know, my spirit and it's just not good. Um, or it, it, we, we need to grow this group and it shouldn't be a huge group because again, there's total transparency and honesty. So if someone's having, you know, marital difficulties, maybe this is a place they feel safe. It's an absolute safe space, but we need to be developing and encouraging each other and to find our elephants. and. And, and I think that's really, really important. It, you know, last night, knowing we were doing this podcast today, I reached out to my elephants and I said, you know, we actually, you know, use a little elephant uh, emoticon and it's like, <laughs> you know, elephant prayer. Um, here's, you know, I'm doing this tomorrow and, and I just had surgery. I'm like, okay, so I need you to pray for stamina. I need you to pray for this. And, and so to, to invite those elephants and then keep that relationship going. So I think it's really, really important for women. We need this. Um, it's not a gossip thing. It is absolutely yeah. not a gossip thing. And if we were ever to be gossiping, we would count on those elephants to come back and say, uh-uh, that's not right. Um, this is, this is a, a safe space for us to be transparent in our spiritual walk and to ask for prayer. And you know, one of the things, one of my, one of my elephants has, was led many years ago. She was led into, through a series of events into really bad theology and ended up Mm -hmm. in, in word of faith, just, just through a series of events and for, for many years and then came back out. Now she, like you and I are, she's, she's an introvert. She's, but she's like, Rebecca, that was so wrong. And I wanted, I want people to to know how wrong it was. So this is one of those things where because of our elephant group, we can talk about it and strategize. And then, you know, she said, someone came up to me at church the other day and said, Hey, I understand you might have 
you know, experience something in the word of faith. I really like X. Could you talk to me? And then my elephant's like, oh my goodness, Rebecca, I, God just opened this door and I just was transparent and said, no, that's wrong. You need to run from it. You need to flee from it. Don't, don't dabble in it. It's not healthy. And, but she, she came back to our little herd in order to say, okay, now I need you to keep praying for me because I need to be strong to be able to overcome the introvertness, the shyness, or whatever it happens to be for us to do that. So, uh, yeah, we need our elephant. We do. And you know what? Men need their elephants too. All you, you know, if there's any men listening, you need to go find some (laughs) elephants as well. (laughs) I do. I'm not sure what the equivalent is because I know know bullets alone. But you bring up a really good point because um, over the years, as I talk about this and Richard sees it worked out in, in our lives, uh, I mean, these people are, when, when we agree to be an elephant for someone to support them, we're being a Barnabas. We're also willing to be iron sharpening iron. And so sometimes it's, it can be a hard conversation, but over the years, as Richard's watched this play out in, in my life and our lives, he said, you know what? I think guys need elephants. And mm-hmm. I said, I do. I said, I think you need encouraging. And I think that's another place. Um, and I'm making a general statement. I know it's not true everywhere. But in general, guys tend to neglect encouraging each other and being being a Barnabas. Yeah. And we've got great, you know, a great example in scripture with with Barnabas. It's like he went and he lifted up the brethren. And we're supposed to be Barnabai, whatever the plural <laughs> of Barnabas is. Um, but I think guys neglect that. And so it's been interesting, as Richard will, Richard will sometimes say, you know what? I just reached out to so-and-so and said, you know what? I just heard something and it made me think of you. Let me encourage you. And so, yeah, whatever the the male equivalent of elephants are, guys need it too. Yes, for sure. Yes. Well, anything you want to leave our viewers and listeners with, maybe also share if there's a, a place online. I, I don't think you're on social, or maybe you are on social, I don't know. What Do you, do you have a website or anything? You can tell them to go to Richard's website or whatever you think they can connect with. But any final words for us? Well, final words, I would just say, remember whatever we're going through in life and I, whether it's with suffering or whether it's with, you know, wanting to witness to others, we we are called to be faithful and we need to be spending time in the scripture. We need to be reading scripture. We need to be studying. It's not sufficient to simply read. We need to be studying as well. And we need to keep up our perspective correct. And, and I would say, you know, there, there are a lot of different things we need to factor in. But I love 1 Peter 5.10 and the God of all grace who's called us into his eternal glory will, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, settle, and strengthen you. And I love the juxtaposition of the eternal glory and we suffer a while. And the way we make that work on earth is we have to keep our perspective. We have to keep an eternal perspective. We have to keep focused on Christ and we have to allow others in. Because by allowing others in, they're also being blessed. So I think that's that's how how we make things work. Um, and uh, I am not on I'm not on social media, but uh, Richard's website, uh, our our website is richardghow.com, and links to his YouTube page. Some of my talks are on our on his YouTube page there. 
Great. Awesome. Well, I want to thank my guest, Rebecca Howell. What a great conversation. I love that she brought up studying scripture, not just reading it. Please tune in next week. It's going to be a live stream with Scott Lindsay, who's a representative with Logos Bible Software. He's going to have a great discount for you guys. Um, I use Logos Bible Software to study. And so we're going to do a New Year's live stream starting the word, uh, starting the year in the word. And we really want to encourage you to do that and maybe check out some of the packages that Logos has to offer if you want to get really serious about studying it. I also want to thank one of our sponsors, uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary, where, of course, Rebecca's husband, Richard, uh, is is a professor and was my professor a couple semesters ago. Really uh, was thrilled to take a class from him. Go to ses.edu slash Elisa. You can download a free ebook and check out what they have to offer there. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And let's just remember that as we pursue Christ to keep a, a sharp mind, a soft heart, and a thick skin. We'll see you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.